0: Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Effortless Swimming Podcast. Before I jump into this special episode with Olympian Brent Hayden, I want to let you know about some things that we've got coming up where you can join myself and our other coaches to help you improve your swimming and really just change the way that you think about your swimming and how you go about it we have a week camp in thailand it's currently fully booked so you can join the waiting list there i'll put the links in the description we have had two spots become available for our maldives camp at the start of september this year so if you'd like to join me and three other effortless swimming coaches to spend five days in the maldives working together with a bunch of other like-minded people i would love to see you there so i'll put the links there in the description as well and then we've also added some new clinic dates in Australia, in Melbourne, Sydney, and Brisbane. So if you are in those areas or you're nearby, then you can join us at one of those clinics to do underwater filming and analysis. And I'll work with you uh, or our other coaches as well to help you become a better swimmer and just really change the way that you are going about your time in the water, whether you're a triathlete or a swimmer. So you want to swim smarter and swim faster? Then you need EO Swim Better the only swimming device that lets you see the previously unseen because for the first time you can understand exactly what your hand is doing on every stroke analyze and adapt your technique see the effect of every single adjustment and all with a device that you won't even know that you're wearing swim faster fast with EO swim better a stroke of genius dive into the swimming evolution at eolab.com forward slash swim use the code effortless at checkout to receive your first 12 months free on an annual gold membership Hello and welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. I've got a very special guest today. I've got the one and only Brent Hayden. Welcome back to the podcast.
0: Hey, Brent. Thanks for having me, bud.
1: So I was looking back when you were on the podcast last, it was uh, almost five years ago. It was 2018 and a lot has happened since then, not only with your comeback to swimming competing at the Tokyo Olympics but a whole bunch of other stuff which we'll cover today so I'm excited to to chat to you and, and cover some of these things I think a great place to start would be that comeback for the the Tokyo Olympics because you know 2018 I'm sure that wasn't anywhere in your horizon you had weren't thinking about a comeback where did it all start how did that comeback originate
0: yeah, it's it's funny because like yeah, looking back at 2018, you know, people had been asking me, you know, you know whether like in person or, or on social media, if, if I would ever actually think about doing a comeback. And I, I had once contemplated it back in 2014. I, you know, went for breakfast with my old coach, and, and we, we talked about it. But I just decided that it it wasn't really right to do it. I wouldn't have been doing it for the right reasons. I would have been coming back because you know I felt like. A little bit lost, so to speak. And I think a lot of athletes go through that when they retire, you know, that whole like loss of identity thing. I just like decided that I didn't want that to be the reason why I went back uh, to swimming to essentially, you know, go back to my safe space. So yeah, in 2018, I was still, still not thinking of it. I was, you know, looking forward to, you know, just building my life forward with my wife. We had a bunch of ideas. You know, we were doing a lot of, a lot of coaching here in Canada, like we were doing a lot of private lessons. And then... Strangely enough, um, I think because some of our swimmers that we were working with started improving uh, so much that uh, their coach um, actually started to get upset at us uh, because pe- people were, were talking and uh, they actually uh, the coach actually pressured the pool to stop allowing us to use lane space at, at the pool. So we ended up ending up in a situation where we weren't able to supplement our income because it was doing so well and we we're able to, to pay our bills doing that. So we came into this situation where we had to figure out, well, what, what can we do? So that's when we decided that, okay, well, let's just take the curriculum that we've been doing for for 10 years. And, you know, we've been doing it in our private lessons, doing it in our clinics. Let's just make it available online. So in 2019, my wife and I went to Lebanon. Uh, she was originally from there. So we were staying in this small town. It's not really small, but it was like just outside of Beirut. and We were, we were there uh, mostly for family reasons, but I decided like you all, you know, while we're here, why don't we, why don't we look into actually filming the course? So I hopped onto Google maps now 2019, summer of 2019, I'm still not thinking about coming out of retirement. (laughs) Okay. So this, this is kind of how everything kind of led to that. So i hop onto Google maps on satellite view. I'm looking for little tiny blue rectangles. You know that are near me and i'm zooming in i'm checking out all these pools and i found this pool that was not too far away at this um, country club called the jaita uh, country club and i reached out to the owner there you know asking if we could uh, check out the pool perhaps film there but when i met him yeah he's like, we basically got free reign of the pool until nude every single day and getting in the water and filming our curriculum i i started to one surprised myself with that, with how good I felt in the water. And I think all the memories or all the good feelings that I used to associate with swimming that I had lost because I retired in 2012, you know, not just because of my back spasms, but also I was suffering from chronic depression. All those good memories and good feelings started to kind of come flooding back. And I actually was doing a clinic in Beirut and the kids really wanted to see me swim fast. So I got on the blocks. I... Sprinted a 25 for them. I uh, had my wife film it. So later that evening, I timed it. Like timed the video. And then it's like, okay, it wasn't so it wasn't wasn't horrible. It was better than I thought it'd be. It was like it was like 10 points something. And I sent it to you know, my buddy Brett Hawk and to to get his opinion. And he was like, he, he was like dude you could totally you could totally do it and then i was even talking to anthony Irvin and bruno fratus as well getting there having them kind of pump me up a little bit and kind of egging me on to actually do it so yeah sure enough sent an email to swimming canada to see if they would support the journey and i i'll be honest i put every uh i came up with every reason why they could say no right whether i'm too old. I've been out of the water for too long. You know, they want to focus on the younger swimmers. You know, there's no, so there's perhaps no space in the training centers anymore. You know, they don't want to fund it. You know, literally came up with every single reason why they could say no. So kind of like, I guess, sort of mentally preparing myself for, for that rejection, but he's like, you know, what I'm not going to say no for them. I'm going to let them say no. So I'm just going to send that email off anyways, and I'll just accept whatever answer they give me. And, Like I think it was like maybe the next day they emailed back and they were just super enthusiastic. So it was like, it was a big yes. So had to come, come home right away and, and start my start my journey towards Tokyo.
1: Were you doing any sort of strength training? How are you keeping fit during your retirement? So you obviously didn't let yourself go over that time. You still had some sort of uh, fitness to be able to still feel good. What was that, that training like that you were you were doing outside the pool?
0: Yeah, this is this is often a pretty pretty um, interesting topic because uh, I was not swimming um, like at all. The only time I really got in the water was when we we're doing clinics, and I had to just get in and just do like a quick, like you know, one length or two length uh, demonstration swim. Uh, if I actually went to the pool to you know swim on my own to to get some laps in, I can count on both hands how many times I actually did that over seven years. It's probably like six or seven times I actually did it, and. Most of the times I ended up cutting that swim off early because, again, because the reason why I retired with, with, uh, started with depression, I had a very, I had developed a very negative relationship with the water and I would just start to get emotional when when I was swimming and I didn't want to be there. And so I would just get out, you know, after like 1500 meters or Whatever, I just go sit in the hot tub, you know, because when you don't have a coach, you can go sit in the hot tub and no one's going to yell at you uh, to get (laughs) back in. Right. So it was, it was super easy for me to, to do that. So the only thing that was really keeping me in shape was just strength training, right? I was just in the gym four, five times a week. And I found that I really, I really loved lifting weights because when you're an athlete training for, you know, your competition or, you know, whatever your goals are, Every single day you go to the pool, you get a, you get that kind of like micro sense of accomplishment, right? Whether or not you had a bad practice, you still went and you still got the meters and you, you still kind of, you still accomplish something that day. So when I retired and I was no longer swimming, I found that I was missing that micro dose of accomplishment every single day. Mm. There was a little brief period of time where actually I became very irritable. I felt like my, my personality kind of started to change. So getting back into that routine, like right, the routine that kind of like that sort of that discipline that you're used to when you're swimming, like whether you feel like going to swimming or not, you still went, right? Because you had that accountability to to still be there. So making myself go to the gym, even on the days when I didn't feel like going to the gym, I uh, got me back into that same sort of mindset. And, you know, I could create little micro goals or like, you know, hitting a new, you know, bench press, you know, personal record on the bench press or just even just a sense of like, you know, that was a really good workout and going home, like, you know, because I got like super sweaty and just like, you know, just feeling good about myself. That was that kind of, I don't want to say saved me, but it was, it was a very important part of, of healing my mental health aspect, as well as keeping my body uh, fit and healthy.
1: Yeah, but well, it, it obviously kept you in the right sort of shape to be able to, to make that comeback. And it, it reminds me of like Cam, Cam McAvoy, um, the, the Australian sprinter, who's um, uh, big sort of gym program, big focus on, on the strength side of things. And he's hitting some unbelievable times at the moment. And I know he's, he's, you know, swimming probably a little bit more than you were during your retirement, but just a big oh, yeah. focus for, on oh, that for strength, sure.
0: strength component. Yeah. Um, I actually put on uh, like, so I put on over 20 pounds of, of muscle during that time, because <laughs> when I, when I raced in London, my race weight was 183. And when I was racing in Tokyo, I was 207. So that's one of the things that got me really excited about this comeback was well how what is it going to be like actually um applying all that new strength i have like like yes there's more muscle mass your your body displaces more water to to push through but it's like it's but what's what's the trade-off going to be and we found that you know in that 50 free i almost beat my Canadian record which was which was set in a bodysuit so like Jeez. So like, I'm feeling, feeling pretty good. And I wasn't even training for the hundred. I still got under 48 seconds. So like, you know, like what, what do you do? Um, but it was, it was awesome to see, Cam uh, McAvoy though, do that. Cause it was maybe six or eight months ago, we, he, or he and I had a, a call. So he, he who's came to me to ask me um, a bunch of my advice of like what I was doing and how I was training, especially as a, as an older athlete and that. So I don't know which parts of, of my experience he, he took. Because obviously, you know, he's Karen McAvoy. He, he like he's he knows what he's doing. But it was really cool just to um have him actually reach out and and ask me for you know uh, or ask me just to share my experience. That's
1: So really when so cool. when he did that,
0: like, I was like that was like amazing. I was like, that was really cool to see.
1: Yeah. Well I was I'm trying to think when it was. I think late maybe late last year, I was in Brisbane and I was doing some filming of one of the Australians from his K Melvinson, who's a distance from a And when we were going to the pool, Cam was coming out of the the same pool and Cam and Kia were just having a chat and he was talking about his training. He said like, I'm doing a little bit of swimming, but I'm just hitting the gym, but I'm feeling really strong. And my times aren't quite there yet, but I'm feeling really strong. And I thought in the back of my mind, this is gonna be really interesting to see what happens over the next six months as he's working towards world champs and then ultimately Olympic games. And just seeing amazing returns on that strength training.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think this world, this world champs is going to be super exciting for, for many reasons, but, but definitely eyes will definitely be on, on Cameron to see what he, what he does there. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And with that uh, Canadian swimming, so what do you think, why do you think they were so s- supportive to, to get you back? Like I'm thinking uh, having, having someone who's, who's been there and done that, people people look up to, having that sort of leadership there can be great for directing the culture of a group. Do you think that that was some of the reasons? Why do you think that was so supportive to get you back?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's probably the, the biggest reason was just having me around the deck and just kind of sharing um, that, that experience and just kind of taking on a little bit of that leadership role because, uh, you know, the, the women's side have, you know, tons of like you know, um, amazing swimmers on, on the women's side, but the men's side was relatively still, still young. You know, we had, you know, obviously Yuri Kissel was probably, probably the, uh, the most senior swimmer on the team so I, I i really think that was probably the the biggest reason coming in and just just kind of pushing them especially in that relay to help those guys kind of find that extra that extra level also like don't want to how, how do i say this? like i think also just kind of like having like a young or like a, not a like an um an old guy kind of kind of come in and kind of you know have these young guys that were kind of like maybe used to winning and have, have kind of like me come in and like no 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 this is how you swim, right? And kind of like, just like kind of push them and kind of show them a little bit of what's what's possible. So definitely was pushing those guys. Well, talk me through that,
1: that relay. So you're on the Canadian team, obviously you let out, well, you guys made the final. First of all, you let out the team and you're the, ended up going 47, nine, So you're th- were you 37 at the time? 37 years of age?
0: Yeah. 37
1: yeah so oldest oldest person to swim under 48 by
0: like five years which is unbelievable yeah, yeah jason lezak God, i remember when he he did that and that was at beijing but i'll still remember that that anchor swim he did mm. right we were over okay. there in like lane one or lane two or something like that when he when he did that and so to be able to to like have his name there and now like see, seeing my name above his there it's you know like we st- like i want to say that like, we kind of like you know we we all stand on the shoulders of giants right so the fact that lee's did that you know showed us that we can keep being competitive as we get older and now that i've done it um i think we're going to be seeing like i don't expect my name to be at the top of that list for for much longer i think we're going to have swimmers that are now opening up their eyes to the longevity of what's possible and you know Probably like maybe even after World Champs, we might already have another older sw- oldest swimmer ever under forty seconds or after Paris, right? So but it's mm. it's cool to be able to, to see my name at the top of that for the time being.
1: What was it like hitting the wall and looking at the time and going, Wow, that was that was unexpected. How
0: how was that? <laughs> I mean, I think everything kind of leading up to that moment, it wasn't necessarily just the, just the forty seven nine nine. Like at our Olympic trials, we we were at risk of not even having a team to qualify for the Olympic games because we were ranked 15th and, you know, only top 16 actually get to go. So we came together to do a time trial to hopefully just get us a better add-up time to, or sorry, uh, just to get a better time so we can, you know, feel a little bit safer in case other teams behind us did a trial and and knocked us out. And I think we moved up to 12th, I think, with that time trial. And one thing that I was telling the, the guys was, the story of watching the South Africans at the 2004 Olympics, right? Was it, I think, Darian Townsend, Lyndon Ferns, Reich Neatling and Roland Schoeman. Nobody expected them to, to win a medal and they came out, they believed in themselves when no one else would. And they, they won the gold medal. So I wanted to kind of share, share that experience with them. So I used that as a, as an example and just like, We went out there, you know, I also told him like there, there's still a chance that this, this could be it. So swim this race, like it's a final in the heats. And so we did, every guy stepped up, you know, we had Ruslan Gaziev who was, who swam as our alternate in the, in the heats and he really stepped up big time as well. So they got us that lane. So that gave us the opportunity and still people still didn't believe in us Are like, you know what guys, like we have a chance to medal. Right. And I guess Lee, leading off that, that relay, I knew it was going to hurt coming back. And I, I, cause I didn't train necessarily, um, focusing on the hundred. I was training for the 50 because I felt that was probably the most realistic place, uh, or realistic event for me to be doing a comeback at my age in such a short amount of time. Right. But I guess my, my coach, I guess was secretly training me for a hundred w- without telling me, right. <laughs> I just show up and just do what my coach tells me to do. Um. So I just I just wanted to not put any limits on how on what my body was capable of on the second length. I wasn't going to save anything for for the swim back. That's funny. I was just thinking about that movie Gattaca. There's a there's a scene in that movie where the guys are swimming out and the one guy he is wanting to turn around and swim back, but he doesn't want to get beaten. And finally, he asks the guy, you know, how are you doing this? And he says, I never saved anything for the swim back. So I've always thought of that that line, and and so in that moment. That's kind of the way I decided to approach that race is don't save anything for the swim back because I don't know what my body is capable in, in this moment, or what it's capable of. So I, I just went out as fast as I could and I came back and you know, when that pain's uh, taken over your body, uh, there's something about being on a relay when you've got three other guys um, that you're swimming with that kind of helps elevate you and, uh, and push through that pain just a little bit more sometimes. And I, I touched that wall and I turned around and you know I see Josh's feet enter that water and in that moment, it was the first thing that went through my mind was that I feel like this was kind of like a passing of a torch this moment because here I am at 30, 37 years old. Josh was born after I made my first national team right at the (laughs) the 2002 Commonwealth Games in, in Manchester. So I kind of feel like that moment is kind of like a passing of the torch. And then I I noticed that time and seeing that forty seven nine nine and you know the last time I saw a forty seven up there was the twenty twelve Olympics ten years earlier or sorry nine years earlier I felt really proud of what I did and I knew that I did what I needed to do to give ourselves uh, a chance and we almost won a medal like we were we were so close
1: yeah I remember watching that because the Aussies got third uh, and just just pipped you out. Um, which is yeah, great for the Aussies. But I mean, what a, I mean, an amazing story. I mean, Kyle, Kyle Chalmers,
0: man. I mean, I mean he's Kyle Chalmers <laughs> for a reason, right? Um, yeah. he, had a, he had a tremendous uh, anchor swim to, uh, to get us on the end. But yeah, I mean, even though we missed the medal, I think my one of my favorite swimming moments in, in my career was actually after that moment. And I just grabbed the other uh, three guys and we just like went for like a group huddle, like a, a group hug. And I, I showed them, you know, I pointed out the board and said, you know, nobody believed that we would, that we would be there. I know we didn't get a medal, but we achieved way more than anybody else believed that we were capable of achieving. Absolutely. So, and so it was really cool.
1: I mean, those, those guys will carry that, that forever. Like those relay swims when it's, when it's you and some other guys, like it's just, it's such a different feeling than the, the individuals. You know, do you, and i mean you probably got a, a very strong bond with those guys as well after going through that that build up and then the event and almost meddling. like what a what a great way to to build those tight-knit bonds
0: yeah i mean like i, I kind of wish i could have uh stuck around for for paris because you know i like i say like i really bonded with those guys and it would be really great to to be there but at the same time like i know my time there was over and i did what i needed to do and i, I I pass that on, and so just it's it's really cool just watching them uh, carrying carrying that forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, now you're you're doing obviously some coaching during your your retirement, but uh, you've been doing uh, a lot of just passing on your knowledge, uh, specifically technique. You're running clinics, you've got the online course as well. Uh, I'd love to I'd love to dig into some of the details about what's the process you like to go through when you're working with people or you're running these clinics. What are some of those core things that you like to, to pass on to the groups that you're, you're coaching? This episode of the podcast is proudly brought to you by our sponsor, Form Smart Swim Goggles. They're more than a pair of goggles, meet the world's most powerful swim platform. See yourself improve with Form Smart Swim Goggles, including a free one-year membership when you purchase your goggles for only 249 US dollars. They've currently changed up their offer where you can now get the goggles and you have one-year membership included for free. And if you'd like to continue with the membership going forwards, it's only 15 US dollars a month, where you get access to the workouts, training plans, and custom workout builder. But you'll always have access to the real-time data in the goggles, so you never lose access to that. My favorite thing about the form goggles is having the instant feedback of what times you're doing, what stroke rate you're doing, and also the ability to see what your heart rate is. Because never before have we been able to have these immediate feedback heads-up display where it's actually telling you what your intervals are. So when I wear the goggles in training, I like that I know my split for the first 50 and the 100 and the 150. So every single lap I'm getting that feedback on what my pace is. And I find it's such an important tool for being able to not only have different gears where you can switch betr- between the different speeds that you wanna swim, but it helps you develop those gears and it helps you intuitively know how fast you need to go before you're going to blow up or before you're going to go a little bit too hard. So it helps you just get really good at judging your pace for when you do go to a race. And even if you're not wearing the goggles in a race, it's that intuition and that ability to develop your pacing that these goggles can really help with. To get your pair of form goggles and save 15% off, use our link formswim.com forward slash effortless or use the coupon effortless at checkout and that will get you 15 percent off your pair of goggles using our special link formswim.com forward slash effortless or the code effortless at checkout
0: and so we always take a, a a step-by-step approach the way i kind of described it is was kind of like putting ikea furniture together right because if, if you skip one step the whole the whole thing has to come apart and you gotta start from the <laughs> foundation because if you if you're trying to fix one thing in the technique a lot of times You can't fix that until you fix other things in the technique because that might be a result of something that's happening three four five steps back uh in the chain right like your recovery might be doing that because you know your hips are you know in a poor position or you don't have good alignment or you're not rotating enough or you're holding your breath in your rib cage incorrectly right or you're breathing into your chest rather than your lungs so we always no matter the the skill level of the swimmer we always run them through the same the same progression right so we always start with breathing and buoyancy before going on to alignment rotation the kick right I'm sorry the kick then the rotation before before we even get to the recovery and and the pull so it's always super cool though when you even take like a really advanced swimmer who doesn't think they really have that much room to improve and you know we, we always do a stroke count at the start of the clinics right for 50 meters uh we have a rule three dolphin kicks off every wall. So I don't know if you've seen uh, my Instagram post, I do a lot of those stroke count videos where I say you gotta do three dolphin kicks off each wall because underwater kick is still part of pool swimming. So I still want them to still practice that with with the breakout. And then they run through the whole clinic and then we do the stroke counts again at the end. And like 90 like over like 95% of the swimmers always, you know, knock off strokes. Which is obviously i guess like the overall philosophy is if you can become a more efficient swimmer you can become a faster swimmer because hmm. you know tech it's always technique and it's always about minimizing the resistance you need to overcome right and then you add the speed and the power on top of it if you're if you're a sprinter
1: yeah i, I love that approach and it's something that i had to learn as a, as a coach it's like early days it's just like i'll just change you know change this but it's like, oh, okay, that's not really working because we haven't started early enough down there in, in the order of, of steps there.
0: And I, I think had... um, you, you probably, sorry, like you probably um, also experienced this too, is like a lot of swimmers too, especially when they are experienced, actually they, they tend to, sometimes it's like, it's a little bit hard to, to get them to actually go back to the basics. Sometimes they like, um, mm-hmm. they almost feel like sometimes it's a little bit too beginner sometimes, but if you're actually able to get them through, is like, and get them through that, they always are going to be able to improve or be able to fix that thing that they've been struggling to fix for for so long. So, so one thing that I always try to communicate to the to to the advanced swimmers, um, because you know, a younger swimmer who or not necessarily a younger swimmer, but like a less experienced swimmer, they're they're a bit more like a blank blank slate. But an mm. an older or more experienced swimmer who has developed that muscle memory and that and that mechanical like patterning in in their technique it's really hard to undo a lot of those things. So being able to actually get them to um, be willing to go back to the basics and build it back up is is really key sometimes.
1: Yeah, it's, it's such a great point. I had a, a running coach on the podcast last year, a guy, an Aussie guy, Paul McKinnon, called it The Balanced Runners, his, his, his brand. And he was invited to go over to Oregon to coach some of the elite Nike runners. So work with some of their athletes. And I asked him, like, what are you, like, what are you sharing with these guys? Like, you're working with the top 0.1% of uh, of runners. What are you going over and, and teaching them? And he shared that's like, I'm just kind of teach. I'm going through the same stuff that I'd go through with a, a beginner or intermediate runner. We're just going through the basics. We're going through the fundamentals because, like, quite often, when you're an athlete, you just do what you do, and it becomes intuitive. But you don't really think about how it's broken down. And you aren't necessarily, like, it's, it can be hard for a lot of athletes to pass on the knowledge of how they're swimming so well. They, they they can do it well, but they can't pass it on. They haven't really thought about it that way. So when you get a coach, and is that something that you experienced with in oh, the yeah. early days?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean... I feel like I, I've always been a little bit intuitive with how to communicate things because I was not a good swimmer when I when I was growing up. You know, I, I failed swimming lessons twice. That's one of like those key point bad you know, pointers there. <laughs> yeah, I, fa- failed swimming lessons. So like I had to learn how to break things down into the simplest terms that I could, that I could understand, and and a lot of it came down to things that I could visually see because I actually have a an auditory. I don't want to call it a disability. It's just something that I kind of struggle with. It's called a central auditory processing disorder. So a lot of times when a coach will say something to me, even if I'm paying full attention, it's just in the ear and out the other side. And I can't, I can't recall because it doesn't actually go into my short-term memory. So a lot of times things have to be repeated, repeated, repeated. But if, if a coach could explain something to me visually and I could actually um, see in my head what they're saying, right, rather than just the words, actually have like a, an image, that became a lot easier. So when, I, so when I started teaching other swimmers how to do it, I was just i'd really try to kind of paint a picture of it but also like i also have to credit my wife like big time right Uh, my wife nadina because she she was a competitive swimmer but she broke her back in her teens and she still went on to compete at nationals for like a couple years like after she broke her back but eventually living in a back brace and stuff and losing the feeling in her legs like she she had to stop but her sister actually owned one of the top private swim schools in western canada so she actually developed their entire, or redeveloped their entire, like upper level curriculum for the, for the school. So we took like my high performance with her sort of learn to swim methodology. And we kind of like found this sort of like little marrying of the two, of the two to kind of like create that system. So as much as like, you know, I, I think I'm pretty good at, at communicating that to the swimmers really, she is a huge credit to why the system works. Has, like I have to give it to her.
1: Yeah, it's, it makes me think of the amount of different coaches and, and people that I've taken in information from. And like I, I know where a lot of it comes from. Like I could know the coach to credit, but like over the last few, 15, 16 years that I've been coaching and then swimming for the last like 25 years, it's like you just get all these little things and you tend to sort of pick one out, maybe a, a cue that seems to work or a drill, whatever it might be, and you, you become this amalgamation of all the knowledge that's been been passed on. And then you sort of spin it into your own way of communicating things. And, and I think that's what what makes coaching so, so fun, because you can learn from so many different people. And you can, it's a challenge to want to have all these different things to be able to pull out when you need it for different swimmers, because not everyone's going to learn the same, they, they need different cues, they need different ways to think about it. So just trying to have as many tools in your in your tool belt, that you can pull out when when needed is the is the challenge and uh, it, it's a never ending game when it comes to oh. comes to that
0: Oh yeah, absolutely because like you could say like once one way to storm, and they'll get it right away but then that somewhere there's not going to get it. You say it, like mm-hmm. three different ways they still don't get it, so you have to show them how to do it. Then they get it, but then that swimmer over there you have to pull them out of the water and and have them go through the motions and then then they get it, right? So Try to hit on like all three different teaching ways so that way everybody is able to actually be able to move forward because everybody learns differently right mm. but i think no matter no matter the kind of swimmer you're you are the fundamentals of of, of say you know if we're talking freestyle the fundamentals of freestyle are the same right you can personalize it according to the distance you're racing if you're you know short distance speed a long distance endurance but still the the core fundamentals are the same and so that's where we really try to focus in on that and get everybody mastering those fundamentals. Because As you, as you said earlier, it really is about mastering the simple, the, like becoming masters of like the simple parts. Because I think people honestly, they, they make swimming way more complicated, right? So the more you're able to break the swimming down into their individual pieces and realize how, how simple each individual piece of the stroke is, then it's only becomes complicated with just trying to add them all together right yeah. just the sheer number of simple things you need to do is is really where the complication is so don't complicate each individual part because it's already a lot of information
1: yeah that's that's so true it's uh, because it, when you break it down in the like in the simple format of okay let's get the, the breathing right then we go you know, head body kick rotation recovery and then and then pull it's quite a few steps but in, in each element, it's, it's pretty simple to be able to, you know, just kind of know what you need to do there. And especially with like, there's so obviously so much information uh, out there, got podcasts, got it, all of our videos, and people can consume so much and then they just, it, there's just so many things in their head where they just get, I think, confused when they go to the pool. So I think it's just if you can just pick one thing to focus on start early in that chain. Uh, whether it's you know breathing or head and body and just take time, spend some weeks just focusing on it and just kind of shut off all the other noise. And that way you're going to see some improvement because if, you, if today you're working on your head position, tomorrow you're working on your catch, the next day you're working on your kick, nothing's going to stick. So it's just best to have that patience and just go, all right, I'm going to choose one thing. I'm going to shut off the noise and I'm just going to practice that.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. 100%. And
1: uh, so you've been coaching on Skillist a bit as well over the last couple of weeks, or last couple of months. So uh, platform that, that we use at our clinics and people sort of send videos through to, for analysis. I'd love to hear your thoughts on like what you're seeing from those swimmers that are sending their videos through and how you're finding that online communication. Because when I first started coaching online, I thought it might work. I don't know. I'll see if it does, but it can actually be better for many people because they've got the time to go and practice these things in on their own time there's no pressure of a coach standing there it's like i better get this right in the next half hour or it's like you know that's kind of a a waste of a lesson it's they're much more relaxed and they can actually see some changes uh, as a result of it so i'd be curious just to get your thoughts on how you're finding that online coaching through skillist
0: yeah i mean i absolutely love it we did like online video analysis you know for me when i was training for for tokyo because Back in the day, we didn't have access to, to, you know, to platforms like this. So what we actually used to do was we would actually fly to Tallinn, Estonia to work with this biomechanist there in Hallian. I don't know if you've uh, heard that name. So he's, he's, he's a legend going way back to, you know, working, you know, with the, with the swimmers in the, you know, back in the USSR and he really was like a pioneer for for doing video analysis, like he'd break the stroke down into ways that like still don't even know how he was able to break it, to break some some things down. But but now with you know the power of you know the internet, when I was training for for uh, Tokyo, we didn't need to go to Estonia, which I mean, especially with the, with COVID, we also couldn't. I mean, I love I love Tallinn. We would go there like after the World Cup, uh, the European leg, so we're already over there. But we would do the the analysis, or we did an analysis sitting down with him, and he broke my stroke down on the screen. You know, we would film it and, and send it to him so so even at that level we were already kind of used used to what first in person and then we sit down afterwards go over everything and now we got the power of the internet we can just we don't can do it remotely but i had already been i guess i've been doing it for the last few years you know through, through a swimming secrets program because uh, you know swimmers can they can make a lot of improvements following the program granted that they actually start the program with the attention of actually following the program and not just watching it to get some tips and tricks and just trying to just go and just apply to the regular stroke and not actually take the time to go through the through the drills but but the ones that do they always do find improvement but then but there are still you know personal um details that are going to differ from person to person to person that you can look at and actually be able to communicate that to the summer so luckily now with with Skillless, I was using another app before, and the the workflow was just so tedious because I have to download it, put it into like uh, iMovie, create the movie, upload it into the app, download it to the app, upload it to the Google Drive, send the <laughs> an email, <laughs> and half the time it like it wouldn't like something would would break with like the Google Drive link or something. Like the whole workflow was really tedious. But now with Skillless, everything is just all done in in one app, right? So they just so mm-hmm. just go in there, they just upload that video, and I could just download it quickly start playing it go frame by frame put all the analytical tools there that can draw the angles you know draw little arrows say your hand should be like this or your should here you're pulling outside your body line here you're lifting your head up too much here right and uh, and then just basically just submit that to them and then even film a, like an explanation video of myself so now i'm on camera showing the the hand positions or the head position and you know further explaining the things that I, that I was explaining in, in there. And then I can just chat directly with the swimmers all inside that app. So now the, the turnaround time for when a swimmer submits their video and gets that feedback is way faster. And so, you know, the faster they can get the feedback, the faster and also more excited they are to jump back in the pool and, and start working on it uh, right away as well. I know you, you've been on the platform uh, for, for a number of years, so, so also really interested to hear like what are your thoughts uh, since you've been on it for so much longer.
1: Yeah, so I, uh, so Baden who started Skillist, I had coached him a little bit in the Masters squad that I was coaching quite a few years back, and so that's kind of how we got introduced to re- to each other. But prior to that, when we were running clinics, we were using Coach's Eye. The yeah, everyone, I think most coaches yeah. are pretty familiar with Coach. Yeah, Coach's Eye. That
0: that that's, um, that's the one I was using.
1: Yeah. And the, the, like the tool, the analysis tools were good, but I I used to have to hire someone for two days, so a Monday Tuesday after our weekend clinics, and this person would their sole job was to download the videos, export them, rename them, upload them, send them out. It's like that's that's two full days of work after doing a doing a clinic, and it was it was very tedious, and there'd often be some issues with the you know, the exporting of videos and all this sort of stuff, and it was just very hard work, so yeah, we started using Skillist as soon as I found out about it, which was about seven years ago. So it was quite quite early days. And it just it like just wow. literally made our coaching our, our clinics just so much easier to um, to run. So it was just the tech side didn't have to be it didn't have to be difficult. It was just very easy hit upload. And then everyone's got their got their videos. And you've got that communication as well. So after running after I run clinics, uh, like I, I say to people at the end, yeah, I'd love to hear how you're going in two three four weeks time if you're improving and it's all feeling good great like i want to know if you're like ah it's not quite clicking let me know as well because maybe we need to exaggerate a change maybe we need to take a slightly different approach so to be able to just do that really easily in in the app it's yeah it makes a huge a huge difference for the athlete and, and for myself just to be able to have that constant communication so that people can get the results that they're that they're after so especially for swimmers when they're recording themselves it can be challenging enough to get that footage and then to upload it and all of that so just to kind of take away one of those steps that's you know that can maybe hinder their ability to do it or just go oh it's a bit too much work I don't really want to to do it like it, it, it's I think it's really good for for the sport itself because I uh, we've got access to underwater footage from you know, Olympic Games and world chance we can see pretty much any swimmer from any any angle with the the footage that we've got so to be able to sort of use that as an example and to show people what we want to do and people can record themselves and compare it when someone sees themselves compared to someone like yourself they go oh okay i can see why i'm not swimming 22 or 21 for my my 50 freestyle you could it really becomes clear when you've got that visual comparison which i like with skills because you can just pull up those those videos and compare them frame
0: by frame yeah no it's super cool and it's so easy just to do it all in the app too and what i what i also love too is like after you submitted the videos, like you can literally like, it's not like you just submit the videos and say, all right, here's your analysis. Good luck. Right? Like they can literally, if, if they have any questions about it, they they can ask you. And then you can even like, you know, you can just write there quickly on the app, like whether you're, you know, on the bus heading, heading somewhere and just sit there and be answering people like on, on the go. So it's really great that you're able to, support them on the back end so you don't ever leave anybody uh, with any questions or they just didn't understand something you leaving them confused right so it's 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 really cool like even like last night I had a, a student uh, mike who was he had a bunch of questions after after my last analysis so right after this this meeting like, I'm going to be filming myself and submitting those those back to him. so the ability for me to share my knowledge you know whether it's through you know the Swimming secrets program or or through the Skillless app I think it's got to be the most rewarding aspect of it. Because I feel like if I just competed as a swimmer, you know, made it to the Olympics and retired and never did anything with swimming again, it's, it's a, I think, not just for from, from me, but like, I think for a lot of athletes, it's like, it's such a huge loss for the for the swimming community, right? So the more access athletes have to be able to, share their knowledge and be able to work directly with other swimmers, it's going to elevate the sport so much more. And the other thing that's really cool too, like I've got so many thoughts like running through my head is that you don't need to be an elite swimmer to get access to this program. You don't need to be training for, for the Olympics. You could be just a casual swimmer that just picked up swimming, you know, a few weeks ago and just no idea where, where to start. And we can help, you know, we'll look at you and and give you give you guidance uh, that way. So this type of, Expertise or like coaching never would have been available to the general public before. Because, like I said, you know, I was working with rain Hallian for so many years, but we were elite levels. Like the average swimmer wouldn't be able to to walk in and be able to to get that from from him back then. So I I think it's just it, it's really it's really cool, and I just I get a lot of I I, I don't want to say self worth, but it, it makes me feel really good when I get to impact stores like that and, and seeing them improve and then get the excited uh, messages back when when they get that kind of like eureka or that sort of clicking.
1: Uh, moment yeah that's that what comes to mind there for me is uh like whenever i if i meet someone new like you're at a, a par, don't go to parties anymore i'm too too old for that sort of stuff but uh, yeah if you go to like a barbecue or something uh, and someone yeah, asks, asks about what you do i, I tell them I'm, I'm a swim coach and they're like oh so you coach kids and i'm like oh, no, and like we do underwater filming and analysis and oh, you work with elite elite swimmers it's like no i'd like i work with everyday people people who are might be swimming a couple times a week it's probably someone like you you know it's just yeah so i think the yeah the, no one sort of thinks that there's um that's uh, yeah that there's, there's people who are just adults and they're swimming a few times a week or doing triathlon they don't think about that ability to have that kind of underwater filming and analysis and yeah there's not much of that around so that's what i really like about being able to do what we we're, we're doing is pass that on to to people who are really hungry to learn and get better. And when you attract the right people and you work with the right people who fit with your message and your your style of coaching and they, they want to learn from you, it's very rewarding from a coach's uh, perspective. And I think even like for me, I think I'm not that competitive anymore. Like I don't really care about winning races and stuff. Like I, Once I'm in there, yeah, I'm competitive. But to me, that's not a big draw card right now it's like I'd prefer to be the very best coach that I can and I get a lot more out of seeing other people achieve success in the water so yeah I don't know I don't know how you feel about about that like where your head's at in terms of that competitive I mean I, oh. I think you're you seem like a born competitor so you'll probably be 80 years old and racing masters and oh. wanting to <laughs> break world records
0: I I don't I don't know. <laughs> like, it, it's funny cause, like it's funny cuz like i even just posted it on on Threads I made a joke yesterday on my um you know, on that new Threads app. I was like, "Therapist, tell me where do you think your competitive uh, nature came from?" And the picture is a screenshot of my TV cuz my my uh, old neighbor was over and we're playing Goldeneye uh, on my N64 and and I won. It's like if I'm playing Goldeneye I'm like, I'm like Uber Uber competitive. <laughs> But I don't know, like with with swimming, I feel like, like, yes, there obviously is that competitive nature too, but I think deep down, I've always just kind of had the instinct or the the desire to just see how fast I could go, right? Especially, you know, I struggled with swimming in my early years. I was not winning races by any stretch. Got a lot of runner-up medals or or ribbons, but I think I just learned to look at the clock more, like the time, Mm -hmm. more than the actual result. So, I think for me, it was always just about push pushing my my own limits, and you know how. And then if I can do that, I'll let the results take care of themselves. Like I actually remember this moment when I was, I was a summer club swimmer because I was a summer club swimmer until I was almost fifteen years old. And so I didn't. I did summer club for for ten years. I was doing lots of other uh, sports too. Like I did karate. I did a little bit of water polo. Played piano. Right. Probably missing some other ones: baseball, soccer. But I remember what in my last year of summer club, or what what ended up being my last year of summer club, I remember telling this other swimmer that I wanted to go winter, which was the term that we use in summer club for swimmers who trained year round, right? The higher level swimmers. And I remember he, he looked at me and I said, well, if you're going to do that, you can forget about winning. Because this was like the, my last year of summer club was kind of like the first time that I I was now like the one that was winning all the races in, in Sour Club and breaking the record. So it took 10 years of, I don't want to say like of sucking, uh, but 10 years of, yeah, <laughs> de- of development to get to the point where I was actually a pretty good swimmer. But but he said that if you're going to do that, you can forget about winning. And I looked at him and I remember saying, that's not the point. I just want to see how fast I could go. All right, And I think, when I was, when I had my best races, yes, there's always that voice in the back of your head that wants to win. But I think if the thought that was in the forefront was just, if I can just take care of my performance so I can control all the things I can control my lane. So that's, you know, my start, my, my dive, my underwaters, my breakout, how I'm holding the water, my stroke rate, right, my breathing pattern. Like that's my space between those two lane rooms. I can't control what everybody else is doing in their lane rooms. So when I was, when I had that thought process at, at the forefront, and then you know having the motivation of of winning kind of in the the background, that's when I swam my best. But I think when the result became my forefront thought, and started thinking about that medal, that's when I struggled. And so, hmm. uh, case in point, that's what happened at at the Beijing Olympics. A lot of people ask me like, "Well, how do you go from world champion in two thousand seven to not even making the final in the Olympics?" Because I was so focused on winning the medal that I forgot to swim fast in the semifinal <laughs> right, because I, because in my yeah, mind, yeah, right. because in my mind I didn't need to win the semifinal, right? That race would be tomorrow. So I only needed to just go fast enough to, to make the final. Like there was a bit of a thing I was kind of struggling with was that I was the number one reason why, why our team uh, didn't medal in the 4x200 relay in Athens. So I felt like, was like I, I, had a, I had a horrible leg in in that relay because my alarm went off at 3 30 in the morning and it said it was seven i'd gone up and everything and then so I was, when i realized what happened i was i spent the whole day until the race from like 3 3 30 onwards like panicking so i was like literally in the ready room feeling like i was about to fall asleep my coach my coach like handed me like a huh. a coke to try to give me some sugar to sort of like wake up and it was just a it was just a disaster so there's a part of me that wanted to make up for that relay and the 4 by 2 relay final was the same night as the 100 freestyle semi-final so like i told myself i don't need to win today that medal will be tomorrow and i'll save some energy for this for this four by two well ended up 12th i missed the final by just under i think just under two tenths of a second and so i channeled all that rage all that energy into the relay and i dove in on the third leg when i dove into the water we were seventh when i touched the wall we were second <laughs> <laughs> so so they, they five, it. Five, yeah I mean I, I, I think I touched my feet on the wall at the 100 meter split in, in 49 seconds so like clearly I had energy to <laughs> yeah. to swim faster in that in that semifinal so that's what I mean like sometimes like you just stop thinking about that result and in the moment just see how fast like you can go and the results will take care of themselves. don't try to strategize. <laughs> things uh, so much. I mean, obviously there's some strat strategizing in certain situations, but yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's a really,
1: uh, I really like the, the the point you made there just about when it's competing with yourself, it's it, everything's in your control and that's much more motivating than trying to, trying to beat someone else, trying to win the gold medal. You've got no control over that. And so when you're thinking about that, to me, that's kind of you know, produces a bit of anxiety. It's like, Oh, well, you know, what's, what's going to happen on race day. And like, that's where a lot of that doubt can creep in and it just takes everything out of your control. So yeah, it's just always wanting to try and beat your your own PBs, beat your own times, and it keeps it in your your locus of control. So it's- um, also
0: remembering your why. I think that's that's a big, big point. People get up on the blocks and they, they think they're just swimming for times and metals. And honestly, like if, if that's all you're swimming for, you're not going to go very far. I think people need a a deeper burning reason why, they, why they, why they compete. And I think when, when I got to the Beijing Olympics and I just started focusing on this, you know, little gold, shiny thing that I saw hanging around my neck, you know, I, I, I became so fixated on that, that I, I really lost my, my purpose and my reason why I was uh, always uh, doing
1: this. Do you think, so, uh, do you think that with your results in two, did you win in 2012? Did you win the 100 free? Bronze. Bronze. Do you, do you think like with that success and that brought a lot of a lot of media, a lot of attention and like I guess it really sort of put you in the in the spotlight after that. Do you feel like that that attention afterwards is kind of why you may have been so focused on on the result come 2016? Was that that part of it you think or like what are you, what are your thoughts around that? Well no, that?
0: I was re- I was retired in 2016, so like I was done right? Like 2012, I, w- I was totally, totally done with the sport and I didn't, I got a lot of it. I definitely got a lot of media attention, you know, while I was in London, you know, back home, but I didn't get any real media attention when I actually got home because after, after London, cause I announced my retirement actually before the closing ceremonies, I was just like, that's it. Uh, this is just a really great way for me to, cause I mean, I was spiraling into, into depression. Two weeks before the Olympic Games, I couldn't walk for four days. So, like, that was the worst year of my life, training and trying to keep my body moving forward. Like, I actually almost had a moment where I almost quit before the Olympic Games when we were at staging camp in, in Olbia, Italy. And I remember my coach asked me what was wrong, and I, I looked at him and said, I don't want to retire before the Olympics. And I, like, I was, like, all, like, hunched over, and, like, I was, in, I was in so much pain, like, I couldn't use my legs to get into bed. Like I remember grabbing the bed sheets to pull myself onto the bed just so I could uh, go to sleep. That's, that's how bad it was. So I didn't think that I was even going to get to uh, compete. And I had all these thoughts in my head, like, well, I've already failed at the Athens Olympics. I failed again at the Beijing Olympics. What are people going to think of me when I go to my third, probably my final Olympics. And I fail it fail again. Like, is that going to be how people remember me? Right succeed at everything Mm -hmm. except the, except the Olympics. So I had that thought in my head and I started thinking like, well, what if I just retire before the Olympics, then I'll be kind of be able to avoid all that. Right. (laughs) And so I kind of told my, told my coach that, and he he kind of threw my thoughts back in my face. And I, I just remember just getting like incredibly upset at that. And I, I blew up like my whole top, like, like a pop, like popped off. And, I just started like yelling, I was like, you know, picture a guy in like a back spasm, trying to like be angry, probably didn't look very good, but but I let out all of my emotion. And the next day I noticed I felt better. So sometimes I feel like sometimes when we're struggling, we bottle it up so much inside that it, we're not able to, to heal because you know, your thoughts, like you manifest your own thoughts sometimes. And I think sometimes my thoughts um, are preventing me from actually healing because as soon as I let it all out, I was much better the next day, and then one day after that, I was back in the water swimming as if nothing had ever happened. And then, hmm. yeah, my my rib was out the day of my hundred free final, but I was like, you know, my goggle straps were all messed up. So if you watch the video; I'm the last person putting my goggles on because I literally looked at my goggles like, oh, my, my goggles are straps are messed up. So I had a moment where I was like, I think my goggles might fall off, but I always swim outside without goggles. So I just I just reminded myself that if my goggles fall off. I know I can still see. Because like I think in that moment. I had gone through so many, so many struggles and challenges because they were preparing me for the moment when I needed to perform when everything seemed to be going wrong. Right. Because you hear all the time athletes often succeed when things aren't going well, it's very rare. an athlete can get to the Olympics and have a perfect day. You know, Mm, (laughs) like there's always, there's always something that, that, that wants to, that wants to throw them off. So a lot of times like those struggles are actually preparing them to be able to perform in those in those environments. So so I thought back to all those struggles I went through, you know, whether it was Athens, whether it was Beijing, whether it was uh, getting Deli Belly at the 2010 Commonwealth Games, I was so sick there, but that, that's when I went on my first again the first summer ever under forty eight seconds without a bodysuit. I was so sick hmm. that day vomiting. And actually in that moment I reminded myself when I was like a little kid in a pup tent at the summer club provincials, I I was, again, I was vomiting, but I did all best times in the meet because I just didn't want to throw up in front of everybody. So I swam even <laughs> faster just so I get out of the pool faster. So I reminded myself, if that kid can do that, then I can do it, do that here. So that's something that I try to tell to all the swimmers too, like you might be going through these challenges, but there's going to be a reason in the future when you're going to be faced with another challenge that you're going to be better prepared to, to handle it because so all those struggles are just going into your experience bank because you're going to be able to lean back on them at, at some uh, some later point. I'll be honest. I can't remember how I got into this topic because it just <laughs> just <totally> like <laughs> went over this way. I totally forgot where, where that was supposed to go, but...
1: Now that- I was putting Beijing at 2016, which was Rio was oh, in 2016. Gotcha. That, so in my head, I'm like, okay, that's that's why I was connecting the dots the wrong the wrong way, but it's it makes so much, in hindsight, things make so much sense, doesn't it? And you can see all those terrible things that happen, all those challenges you go through. Looking back, it's like, God, I learned a good lesson there, and I probably couldn't have learned it any other way. And I'm so glad that happened. But at the time, it's very challenging to be able to accept it. And you've got to go through the emotions of, of dealing with it but looking back you know you could the bet the best lessons are learned with the with the hard with the hard lessons so yeah
0: yeah but it is it is hard to i mean to accept that it simulates life in like like the most yeah. extreme way sometimes mm. yeah it, it's, it's like a in a way a
1: very very safe safe way in a way to to, to yeah. emulate life right like it's 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 a forced way where you can just you can put these challenges on yourself and go through them and you know and develop your Ability to to push through them in other areas of your life, and that's why I think you know, so many of my good friends, us, my swimming friends, you know, because you go through those challenges together, and you know, you want you want to be working with with people who have been through through challenges. They're more interesting, they're more resilient, and you want people who have who have had some tough things happen in their in their life, and especially when you get out of competition, you get out of elite level sport, you kind of need to introduce some things so that you're still going through some challenges, whether it's a hard session at the gym, those physical challenges, or maybe you're stretching yourself with your, with your business and all these different things. Like I think we need to introduce these challenges ourselves. So we're still keeping sharp with things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's so true. Like you're able to be ready for so much more in life be because of sports. So I always tell parents, like, it doesn't matter if your kid's good at sports or not. Right? Your kid doesn't need to be the best swimmer on the team or the best player on the team. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. If they go on and become an amazing athlete, great, but that you shouldn't be putting them in the sport with that being the end goal. You wanna be putting them in the sport because they're gonna be able to learn so many things in life that, that sometimes, I don't wanna say only sport, but that sport is able to actually teach them. You're also gonna be able to learn teamwork, you know, problem solving, goal setting going to make new friends. Right. So like there, there's so many other benefits. And so sometimes I feel like, you know, I'm talking to parents and they, they think that if their kid isn't excelling at it, they're, they're, they're questioning like, well, should I even bother putting my kid in the sport? I'm like, hmm. yeah, absolutely. Because if my parents took me out of the sport, like I was, I was a struggling swimmer. My parents, if my parents had that mindset to pull me out just because I wasn't excelling at it after like six, seven years, I wouldn't have been able to go on and, you know, achieve the things that I was able to achieve and be the person that, that I am today. So any parent who might be watching this, if your kid is struggling in the sport, but they love it, just just keep them in it. If, if you can just, just keep them in it.
1: Yeah. It it always reminds me of sort of a a guy who coaches coaches, Wayne Goldsmith. He always says there's no champion nine-year-olds. Like there's there's no such thing as a champion nine year old swimmer because it just things change and really like who cares if you're the champion nine year old in your in your club or your state or even nationally like who cares like if you're telling that story when you're fifty years of age that I was the I was the fastest fifty freestyler at nine years of age in my in my state it's like well are you a good person uh, if if I had to choose yeah. from my my kid winning an Olympic gold medal but being an asshole. Or being a great person that people want to be around and you know, is, is doing good things, I know which one I'd I'd rather choose. I think that's what you can learn from from sport and there's only going to be a select couple of people who are achieving those those high ranks. so th- I think the main thing is are they developing the skills to be a, a good person and uh, and, and a, a resilient person and swimming is one of those sports where if you're you got to get up early and you've got to put in the hard yards to have success, I think it teaches. it's got to be one of the hardest sports to to train for and and be good at and i think that's a that's a good thing that's why it produces good people yeah well said well that brent i I really appreciate you being on the on the podcast we've gone uh, an hour here we could keep going for for another hour but uh, i appreciate yeah we could
0: we could keep going for sure so i know but obviously a a huge you know gratitude and, and thank you for having me on your show again it's been awesome catching up with you you know, we'll stay in touch even more. And also, um, I'm just super excited that what you and I are going to be able to do with the swimming community with the new Skillist app together as well. That's that's going to be really cool.
1: Well, the fact that people can get uh, analysis, get feedback advice from someone like yourself, as you said, like that was not available even a couple of years ago, really. It's just, it just opens the the world up and the experience up for uh, for so many people. So yeah, thanks so much for being on the show. If you if you'd like to work with with Brent, I'll put those links in the in the show notes with Skillist and, and his website as well. So jump on those links there. And Brent, I'll make sure it's not five years between drinks again. I'll uh, get you back on <laughs> a lot sooner than that. All
0: right. Thanks, Brent. Oh, I just want to say too, you will won't believe how many times when people email me or send me messages, they call me Brenton. Oh, you can. <laughs> no, all the time. I always get a message, Hey, Brenton. I'm like, I'm not Brenton. Brenton's over at, over at Effortless Swimming, but it's He's, all well, the I, time.
1: I, I can't tell you how many times I get called Brendan in an email. So it's like, well, oh, I mean,
0: definitely, <laughs> definitely that too. But yeah, it's it's. I always get a good laugh that's when, so when funny. I get
1: that. Yeah, that's so. It's yeah. I I didn't even like just chatting now. I didn't even click that. it's like Brent Brenton. Like obviously. I know that's the case. And the first time we talk, it's like, isn't that, isn't that funny? But just because you I've know, sort of known you for quite a while. It's like, that's just what it is. But there's not many Brentons out there and there's probably fewer Brent's out there. So, um, yeah. it's, that's
0: funny. Hope. Well, if you are, if you we'll are, get a, Brenton, we'll get a three way, we'll get a three way podcast with Brett Hawk on there one of these days too. <laughs> let's, you know, let's really do that. confuse some people
1: and have someone host that podcast and try and uh, try and get the names right. It'll be like a parent trying yeah. to tell their kid when I've got two kids and I'm always calling the other one, the other name and they hate it. So let's get, let's get Brett on the podcast and we'll uh, we'll make a meal of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: bud. Thanks so much, Brent. We'll, we'll talk soon.
0: Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com